Welcome, Rich. Thanks, sponsors, too. Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huck the Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. We talk about LCSs a lot, but shows are also really important as an in-person venue for the fellowship and the commerce of sports cards. We got an email from another gentleman named Kyle, not Kyle Robertson, who's doing a pretty darn good job himself of actually running shows. Yes. He's got an entrepreneurial streak in him. He runs a landscaping business. He wants to try to make money. I'm all in favor of anybody with entrepreneurial streak. And you can make money the first year promoting shows? Or you can make second? money the first day promoting shows, but you've got to work hard at it. You got to put money out first. You got to have some money to make some money, I think. You, you got to pay for the room. Yeah. And you got to pay for some promotion. But if you've done the math, you can make money with your very first show. It may not be a lot of money. If you, you can really make money almost immediately. But you need to be connected, you, whether it's social media or in person relationships. You can't be an unknown to the dealers. I guess you could acquire a mailing list or an email list or. Facebook leads of people in the area. But if you're an unknown promoter, I think it takes a while to build. Earlier this year, walking around the Dallas Card Show, wanting to do what he called a vintage show at a nice hotel that I've actually set up at in Richardson. It's right off Central 75. He wanted to do all vintage or vintage on display in the showcase. And I was intrigued by the possibility. As far as I know, the show never took place. As you said, he wasn't connected enough, I think, to get the show going. How do you test the waters without doing it one time? But I'm saying the first time you do it, I don't think you do as well the first time, even though there's a novelty of that concept. But a lot more cities would be doing that, Rich, if if vintage shows were a thing, a sure thing. I actually did great the first time. Okay. It was the first synagogue show, but I had a couple of advantages. More than a couple. More than a couple. And I also had a column I was writing for Sports Collectors Daily at the time. So I was able to do constant promotion. And one thing I made as I kept going, and I'm still doing this today, is a list of how I promote my shows. And that list has changed 50%. A lot's gone in just those couple of years in between the time when the pandemic hit in 2020 and when I was then able to do my next show, Memorial Day weekend, 2022. I did get the March show in literally four days before the world shut down. So in a sense, we only missed three shows, but we had a new building. And I had to be careful with the new building about, hey, I can't overpromote it. What if we don't get our certificate of occupancy in time for the show? Then I can't run a show. Yeah. Okay. So was it easier or harder since before? It was harder because a lot of the things I had previously been doing were gone. So I had to come up with new ways or new things to do. And I rooted around and did did some more research. And I still have my list. It's just a totally different list than the one I used in the first iteration. But there's a lot of things that go into running a show. Some seem simple. Venue, cost, making sure they have tables. But as you said, there are other things like promotions. How do you get dealers? How do you get customers? You can have the best dealers in the world, but if you're having no customers go come through your room, 
you're not going to have much. So if somebody was going to start out being a promoter, like Kyle is talking about, there's some things he'd have to do in preparation. And asking guys like you for tips, that's a good start there. But just having the desire is not enough, I think. No, you have to think about what's the location, price. And Dallas is slightly underserved with what we'll call the 40 or 50 table hotel show. The one I used to run at the Comfort Inn. A monthly show that's a couple dollars to get in the door. The dealer table's $40, $50, $60. You know, not badly priced for a day. Or you can double that for two days if you want to go two days. Reasonable and just a a more relaxed atmosphere. I people sometimes did great, sometimes they didn't. But I wanted room for people to walk around. I wanted to have the dealers have a good experience. I wanted the customers to have a good experience. So Kyle was asking about whether he should do a one day show or a two day show. I got an idea for you. What if you charge for tables twenty dollars an hour peak? And ten dollars an hour off peak. I've never, you know what? That would be really cool. New idea. At my old show at the Comfort Inn, we always were busy from ten to one. I'm saying on Saturday, and then two to four was very quiet time. You're right. You could charge more. Hey, just be here ten to one. If you want to stay later and hang out, that's fine. Otherwise, just pay for those few hours. I don't mind if you leave early. You've paid me already. It would just uh, define the expectation that. These are the better hours, but that'd be a way to maybe get something going that people might try a table for a couple hours at a reduced price just to see what's what. That's one reason when I did two-day shows, my second day was always a a shorter compressed day. We're scheduling tentatively again Memorial Day and Labor Day weekend next year at the synagogue show. It's a 20-table show. You've been in that room. I cannot get more than 20 tables into that room. But I don't want people to be there for hours on end. I compress the hours. It's 10 to 4 Sunday, 11 to 3 Monday. Yep. I'm trying to give everybody a little time, but not overwhelm anybody either. Okay. Do you advise anybody that's thinking about doing shows, or even if you're an attendee or a dealer, that the promoter be flexible? It depends. I think you have to be a little flexible. I also do agree that if you're charging admission, you should have a reasonable code for when your dealer should be there. And this is the counter argument to why letting dealers pack out. If you're charging $2 to get in the door and I'm charging $2 and granted with 20 tables, I can charge $2 an hour before the show ends and you're going to be able to see most of the show. Even if it was free, they spent the gas money and the time to come. You're rubbing salt in their wounds if you charge them five bucks to peek in an empty room. Okay, is there any size of show that doesn't still require security? I think every size of show requires security. I think it's an additional cost. That's an additional cost. I, I think it's always required security. It's just that with the dollar volume of some of these cards, it really is now more important that you have some security. Kyle Robertson has cameras at all his shows. They've caught people taking things. And security is needed. I also think the dealer has to pay attention. You can't just count on the promoter to do security. You've got to watch your own items. 
I have a box of quarter cards at the end of my table. Somebody walks off with a handful. It's not going to affect me. But if I have cards in my showcase that are hundreds of dollars and somebody walks off with those, then not only am I not happy, but I've lost some of my key inventory. But you've got to be careful with what you do and how you do it. The way I always set up my tables was to have stuff that you want to have stolen from you the furthest away from you. You're putting on your dealer hat right now saying I'm a dealer and somebody steals something. But if you're a different dealer at your show and somebody steals something, aren't they going to look at recourse from the promoter? Where's your security? You didn't have security. When I signed up for this table, I had a reasonable expectation that my stuff was going to be reasonably secure. You don't have cameras. You don't have a plainclothes police person. I'm ticked off and you need to make me whole. Can you imagine that? It's funny. I never had that happen in all the years I did a show. I know the National has various cameras, but you can't be everywhere. And some people are really good at taking things. 984 National, there was a police officer sitting with Mike Gordon at the front desk. And every hour there would be an announcement. Not only do we have this policeman sitting at the front desk, but we have plain clothes policemen walking around the National. Guess how many plainclothes policemen were really walking around the National, that show? Zero is the correct number. Guess how many dealers reported items stolen at the 84 National? Hopefully zero, but yeah. It was zero on that too. Just the threat of security being around is sometimes sufficient. Let's do the math, okay? If you have a 20-table show, do you need 20 customers per table to make it work for everybody? I'm actually sitting at the front on the monitor. The last two shows have been very successful for the vendors. I've had 120 people in the room for the last two shows. So that's six people per table. It's been working just fine. If the total number of people were 200, might actually be too many. I know that sounds weird to say, but that can actually be too many people. Well, if you have a 500-table show, if you have 10 customers for every table, then you've got 5,000 people attending. There'll be enough as long as those are people bringing wallets or having spendable money and they're not just uh, gazing. Yeah, the national, you had, let's say, 1,000 tables or booths, and you had 100,000 people there. That's why the dealers are all happy. More than 100,000. You want enough money coming into the room to divide up that people go away happy. Kyle Robertson and I used to talk about this because he always drew more people than I did, but I had more traditional vendors with maybe older stuff, and he had more new cards. I had one vendor who always did my show with his new cards, and he usually did very well it was counterintuitive because there wasn't much competition for him. So anybody coming for new cards would go to his tables. What Kyle always said was that if you get 30 people coming through the door, they're spending $1,000 each or $100 each, whatever the number is. And that's the same as 300 people spending $10 each. So you don't necessarily have to have as crowded of a show to have the same dollar volume. It depends on who's coming into the show, how much they're spending. That's why when the guy talked about the vintage card show, it's a workable concept because you're going to presume that if somebody's coming to a show where nothing after 1986 or 19, whatever year you want to put in as the 
cutoff for things displayed in the showcase. Your show has different profit margins for the dealers in terms of what they have in the cards. If you come into a show and it's a lot of recent wax, I, I believe a lot of that is thinner margins. But of the eclectic stuff that you have, those are high margin sales. They may not even be high dollar sales, but they're high margin sales. So dealers could feel pretty good about selling $1,000 worth of stuff where they made $800 of profit than selling $2,000 worth of stuff where they made 500 bucks of profit. If you look that used at to be Mike Gordon's discussion in talking to people selling wax. These people would say how much they took in. They go, how much profit do you make? They would tell him. He says, I make the same amount of profit with one quarter of your sales. So yes, that is correct. At a show like the National, if you are judicious in your expenses, it's still $3,000 to do the show. Yeah. Yeah, but we just did the math. If it's 100 customers per table or per booth, that's a multiple of what you're doing. Uh, The first 3,000 is going to pay your expenses. Actually, it works against the people that have the bulky inventories, lots of unopened stuff. Some of the bigger Wax dealers are selling their unopened at their lowest possible price. I won't say it's at cost, but it may be. Here's the scary thing. Cost is no longer the factor in some cases for these guys that are in business. It's replacement cost. And the replacement cost is what they're selling it for. So they're really just selling their last boxes or case. They're not going to replenish. They made profit originally because they bought it at the at the original cost but going forward they may say i'm done with that because the price has gone up and i don't want to be overstocked with something that's maybe played out the man-